Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 206. Today's big Bible question, are there mighty women of God in the Bible? We're going to be talking about five of them, five mighty women of God in the Bible. So hello, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Now, when I was a kid, I went to a large Christian school in Birmingham, Alabama called Briarwood Christian. Shout out to the Lions. That school has been around for a long time, but I personally still hold the all-time record for most paddlings in a year, which was set during my fourth grade sojourn at Briarwood, a year that will live in infamy. I understand they still have a small statue of me in the office there, as well as a bronzed paddle that is engraved in memory of the Roger Maris of paddlings. Now, of course, That was before McGuire and Sosa broke the all-time home run record in 1998. And I guess I probably should tell you that I made the statue thing up. But the rest is true. I really do think I'm the all-time holder of the paddling record at Briarwood Christian for any year uh, for that fourth grade year I had, which was truly epic. Um, I'm thinking about my days at Briarwood now, not because my backside is still sore from all those paddlings, but because we used to have a sports coach there, a gym coach, Coach Young, who always called the guys Young Man of God or Mighty Man of God. Now, if you've grown up in a Christian household, maybe especially in the South, you've probably heard somebody say that phrase before, Mighty Man of God. But I doubt you've heard people say Mighty Woman of God quite as much. Now, if you Google each phrase exactly as written, you'll find that people have written about mighty men of God about 10 times more than they've written about mighty women of God. Well, today, that changes. We are on the Bible Reading Podcast, and at our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, we are going to single-handedly make a difference on Google by using the phrase mighty women of God as often as possible. So, our big Bible question of the day is, are there mighty women of God in the Bible? Well, let's go read Judges chapter 4, and let's see if you can spot two of them in one chapter. Judges chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the Naphtalites and the Zebunites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I will gladly go with you, she said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take, because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. 
Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had moved away from the Kenites, the sons of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and pitched his tent beside the oak tree of Zananim, which was near Kadesh. It was reported to Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the troops that were with him from Harosheth of the nations to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera, all his charioteers, and all his army into a panic before Barak's assault. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber, of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord. Come in with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him again. Then he said to her, Stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks you, Is there a man in here? Say, mm, No. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went silently to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. That day God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. The power of the Israelites continued to increase against King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed him. So, boom, what a fantastic story. So we've already found two of our mighty women of God today. Sisera and Deborah are most certainly mighty women of God by every definition. Now, I suppose before we should go further, though, we need to define our terms, mighty. By that word, I'm not particularly referring to brute physical strength or warlike prowess, even though, you know, Jael was pretty awesome at that. That is a normal use of mighty, but in this case, we're going to be looking at something deeper and more spiritual, because this is not the uh, ultimate fighting podcast, it's the Bible reading podcast. I'm thinking of the word mighty in its Ephesians 6.10 sense, where the word of God says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. A mighty man of God is not somebody who can curl over 50 pounds per arm and do, I don't know, 10 reps of 200 pounds on the bench press. Likewise, a mighty woman of God is not somebody known for her weightlifting prowess or javelin throwing ability, etc. A mighty woman of God is strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. She is brave, courageous, and bold in a Joshua 1-7 sense where it says, Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. 
So in seeking out some mighty women of God in Scripture, we are looking for brave and bold ladies, but brave and bold ladies who exhibit great faith and bravery in their following of the Lord. So let's begin with Jael, or Yael in the Hebrew. She is one of my favorite minor characters in the Bible. In fact, I came within an inch of naming our second daughter, whose name ended up being Kaylee Abigail, Jael instead. Jael would be the perfect name for her, too, if you knew her. She's fierce. We recently had a peeping Tom slash Prowler come to our house and break into the fence backyard several times late at night. Rather than cringe in fear, Jael, I mean Abby, got her knives ready. Yes, I said knives. She has a bunch of them all around her bed, backpacks, all sorts of things. I always worry she's going to forget and take one to school. She was prepared to tent peg the guy. The jail in the Bible is the one we just read about, the one who, you know, kind of casually invites old Sisera in and pounds him through the whole brain. I mean, one side to the other. The Bible says the tent peg went into the ground. Oh, holy cow. Uh, she pounds him into the ground. Sisera, the commander of the armies of King Jabin of Canaan. Now, this guy was no small potatoes. He commanded a vast army that had 900 iron chariots at its disposal, which was a terrifying technological edge during the age of the judges, about, I don't know, 12, 1300 years before the birth of Jesus. J.L. sees Sisera coming by her tent, and she slyly and shrewdly calls him in. Come in, my lord. Come in. Don't be afraid. And then she does the daring deed. She takes a tent peg, grabs a hammer, and hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. Well, wow. So Deborah, our next mighty woman of God, actually memorializes those actions of J.L., in Judges chapter 5 with a song, and we're going to read it tomorrow, but I want to read part of it today because it's really cool. She sings, and I don't know the tune, Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. She is most blessed among tent-dwelling women. He asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him cream in a majestic bowl. She reached for a tent peg, her right hand for a workman's hammer. Then she hammered Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. He collapsed, he fell, he lay down between her feet. He collapsed, he fell between her feet. Where he collapsed, there he fell dead. Sisera's mother looked through the window. She peered through the lattice, crying out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why don't I hear the hoofbeats of his horses? Dude, <laughs> that is... Uh, I don't know if it's cold, but wow, that's quite a song. Uh, written by one woman about the heroic and brave deeds of another woman. Hmm. All right. Mighty woman of God. Woman of God number one is Jael. Mighty woman of God number two. You guessed it. Deborah. Deborah was a judge and leader of Israel, first mentioned in Judges 4. She was apparently a woman of great wisdom because for years she settled disputes among the Israelites in much the same way that Moses did when he was alive. She acted as a judge and arbiter between her people. One day, she summoned the mighty warrior Barak, who I guess was the commander-in-chief of, of the army at the time, and she told him, go and lead the armies of Israel against King Jabin and the Canaanites. Now, this guy was big and tough and a great warrior, but he utterly refused to go into battle against King Jabin unless Deborah came too. And she said, you know what? I'll go with you, man, but I got to tell you, the glory for this victory is not going to come to you. It's going to come to a woman which is exactly what happened. Deborah 
was also apparently a woman of great integrity and holiness, at least as far as I we know, because we can't find anything negative that is ever said about her in Scripture, which is a pretty big rarity among the leaders of Israel. All right, the next one, Jehoshaphat. You say, wait, who? Jehoshaphat? Not heard that name. Well, Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah, was not a mighty woman of God. She was actually a uh, more like a wicked stepmother kind of person. Shortly after her son Ahaziah, who was king, was killed, she oversaw the killing of every other potential heir to the throne, and she made herself queen in kind of a coup d'etat. She was going to kill a seven-year-old, actually he may have been younger than that time, so Joash, who was the heir to the throne, he was younger than seven at the time, she was going to kill him in cold blood, but he was rescued by our brave and righteous hero, Jehoshaphat, who was his aunt, as we see in Second Kings 11, verse 1 through 3, which says, When Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs. Jehoshaphat, who was King Jehoram's daughter and Ahaziah's sister, secretly rescued Joash, son of Ahaziah, from among the king's sons who were being killed and put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. So he was hidden from Athaliah and was not killed. Joash was in hiding with her in the Lord's temple six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Well, eventually, uh, Joash became the king, and as long as he was under the mentorship of Jehoiada, the priest, he was a good and godly king. Well, towards the end of his life, Jehoiada died, and it didn't go so well. But this isn't about Joash. This is about Jehoshaphat, who was a mighty woman of God who risked everything to save this little boy. What a brave woman. Number four, the Syrophoenician woman. Now, we don't know her name, but this woman was utterly amazing. Her daughter was tormented by a demon, and she knew that Jesus was her only hope, but she was having some difficulties because she was not a Jewish woman, and Jewish men were not allowed to talk to non-Jewish women. In fact, some people say that Jewish men weren't even allowed to talk to Jewish women who weren't married to them. Um, and so this woman was having difficulty getting help from Jesus because Jesus had said that he was only sent by his father to the Israelites. Uh, now, keep in mind that he would send his uh, disciples to the whole world upon his death. But at the time, Jesus was uh, called to the Israelites. So he told her that. And uh, he told her that it wasn't right to take the bread for the children and feed it to the dogs, which I don't know how you could not be insulted by such a statement. This woman, however, undeterred and unperturbed, she did not take offense to what Jesus said, nor did she complain, but she acted in great and stunning faith, and she bravely pushed forward and kept seeking help for her daughter. In return, Jesus was so impressed by her faith and persistence that he healed her daughter on the spot and commended her. In fact, there's only two people I can find in Scripture that Jesus commends as having great faith. One was this woman, one was the Roman centurion. That's high praise from Jesus. All right, our final mighty woman of God is also a non-Hebrew woman, Ruth the Moabitess. Now, Naomi was a Hebrew woman who, along with her two sons and husband, journeyed to the land of the Moabites and settled there. Both her sons married Moabite women, one of whom was Ruth and one of whom was Orpah. Now, if Orpah, the name, sounds familiar, 
the famous person you know of, Oprah Winfrey, was actually named after Orpah. But there was, I think, some sort of misspelling or something like that. And that's how Oprah ended up Oprah. But Orpah is Orpah. Orpah was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Now, sadly, Naomi's husband and her two sons died, which left all three women as widows. As such, Naomi packed up to head back to Israel to stay with her family, broken and bitter. And she said goodbye to her two daughter-in-laws, who she loved very much, and they seemed to love her too. But they would have been expected to stay in Moab, their home country. Orpah hugged her, cried, said goodbye, but Ruth wouldn't leave. And so we see in Ruth chapter 1, verses uh, 10 through 18, this stunning example of loyalty from Ruth. Um, both Orpah and Ruth said to Naomi, their mother-in-law, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Man, I got emotional reading that, and I'm not even kidding. What an incredible example of love and uh, loyalty from Ruth. That love and loyalty from Ruth to Naomi was ultimately rewarded with Ruth finding a wonderful husband among Naomi's family and kin in Israel. She married a man named Boaz, who was wealthy and took good care of her. And Ruth and Boaz ultimately became the great-grandmother and the great-grandfather of King David. And part of that, they're in the direct bloodline of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Oh my gosh, how amazing is that? So praise God for these mighty women of God. And you know what? We've just scratched the surface with those five. There are many, many, many more in the Bible. Mary of Bethany, Mary Magdalene, Miriam, Priscilla, Mary the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, Esther, Esther, Shifra, Pua, Tamar, Rahab, Hannah, Huldah, Lydia, Phoebe, Aksha, and many, many, many more. Lots of mighty women of God in the Bible. Thank you, God, for their example of faith to us. Amen. Well, let's keep reading, and we'll pick up Acts chapter 8, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Saul agreed with putting Stephen to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. 
Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, This man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power so that anyone I lay hands on may also receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you've said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? He said unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, He was fed like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? himself or someone else. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1. The sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron stylus, with a diamond point. It is engraved on the tablet of their hearts and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their Asherah poles by the green trees on the high hills. 
my mountains in the countryside, I will give up your wealth and all your nations as plunder. Because of the sin of your high places and all your borders, you will on your own relinquish your inheritance that I gave you. I will make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have set my anger on fire. It will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land where no one lives. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out towards a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Amen. The heart is more deceitful than anyone else, and anything else and incurable. You, who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. He who makes a fortune unjustly is like a partridge that hatches eggs it didn't lay. In the middle of his life, his riches will abandon him, so in the end he will be a fool. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Hear how they keep challenging me. Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. But I have not run away from being your shepherd, and I have not longed for the fatal day. You know my words were spoken in your presence. Don't become a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but don't let me be put to shame. Let them be terrified, but don't let me be terrified. Bring on them the day of disaster. Shatter them with total destruction. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand at the people's gate through which the kings of Judah enter and leave, as well as the gates of Jerusalem. Announce to them, hear the word of the Lord, kings of Judah, all Judah, and all the residents of Jerusalem who enter through the gates. This is what the Lord says. Watch yourselves. Do not pick up a load and bring it in through Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day. Do not carry a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, just as I commanded your ancestors. They wouldn't listen or pay attention to me, but became obstinate, not listening or accepting discipline. However, if you listen to me, this is the Lord's declaration, and do not bring loads through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, kings and princes will enter through the gates of this city. They will sit on the throne of David. They will ride in chariots and on horses with their officials, the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem. This city will be inhabited forever. Then people will come from the foothills, from the cities of Judah and from the area around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the Judean foothills, from the hill country and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and thanksgiving sacrifices to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep this Sabbath day holy by not carrying a load while entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, I will set fire to its gates and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem and not be extinguished. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and there was a man with a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, Stand before us. 
Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed him from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idiomea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those who he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, He's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. His mother and brothers came standing outside. They sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around and told him, Hey, look! Your mother and brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Stay safe by his mighty power and in his grace. Good day and Godspeed.